I mean, I think at the end of the day, the old versus new world in security is about centralized versus decentralized. So the whole organization is going from uh, kind of a command and control, a top-down sort of statement, annual processes that you know sort of follow the process to continuous, agile, adaptive organizations that change as they go, run by independent teams. Today, we're diving into the intersection of security and productivity in the world of software development. And who better to guide us than Guy Pajarni? Guy is a longtime evangelist for DevOps and application security, and the founder at Sneak, a leading provider of developer-first security solutions. As businesses continue to adopt more apps and tools so they can innovate and build faster, security teams are facing a tough challenge. How do you build a security program that reduces risk without slowing productivity and efficiency? In this episode, Guy shares his insights on implementing security controls that scale and talks about different approaches to measuring the success of your security program. We also get his unique perspective on how buying behavior in security is evolving and what the near future might look like for both buyers and sellers. So sit back, relax, and join us on the ride. All aboard! I'm your host, Alex Bovey, CEO and co-founder of Conductor One. All Aboard is a new show designed to equip security and IT pros with the tools, knowledge, and practical advice to keep their teams secure and productive. Join me to hear from experts and innovators that are shaping the future of information security. Let's get into today's show. Good to see you again. Um, let's just jump right into it. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that I've always been really... Um, inspired by with you in particular is how you evangelize so much on the shift left movement in particular around application security. I don't know if it was around before you started sneak, but it certainly seems like you were either helped create that movement or, or um, maybe even invented it. Um, why is that, why is that movement so important? And, and uh, why was that in your mind, why is that so essential for the security uh, for the future of application security? Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate the uh, the kind words. I didn't invent shift left, but I was saying it actually all the way back in 2002 uh, when kind of in the early sort of AppSec uh, players. And at the time we were saying it, uh, it was still sort of a very waterfall-y type of development process. And shift left meant left in the sort of the sequential uh, delivery of software. And it really predicated on on efficiency. You know, we had all these charts sort of showing how it's a hundred times cheaper to kind of find a problem during development versus finding it in downstream audit and go back and rework it. And that's true. That's kind of very relevant. And, and so shift left was always understood as a, as a, as a way to just be more efficient with your, uh, with your time and, and your, uh, your work. Um, but I think what has happened really over time is that, you know, first of all, the sort of the pace of software has changed. And so the ability to sort of keep up with software uh, uh, separately has, has, you know, has really kind of gone uh, increasingly, uh, you know, out the window. You know, the 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 notion today of being able to secure software from the outside uh, is just fundamentally flawed. You can never keep up, and that's kind of augmented with the fact that uh, uh, increasingly uh, DevOps and kind of agile development it predicates on independent teams that uh, that that move quickly and they don't wait on people and everything around. There's a bit of a chicken and egg, but Cloud being APIs means you don't wait for an IT person to provision a machine for you when you when you get going. You know you just deploy uh, the uh, the notion of you know continuous monitoring versus you know very very heavy duty testing and having the testing all be automated and not manual. It means you don't wait for a QA cycle. You just deploy the software 
try to find as many issues as you can and then respond to problems quickly when they happen in production. So all of that methodology just doesn't work to this notion of stop and I'll audit. Um, and so I think, I think the reality is that shift left is important like for starters because of efficiency and because as more software is created, as more, more things are digital, then being efficient around sort of securing digital is, uh, is more important and you, you have to kind of get that throughput. Um, and then second is because, you know, otherwise security is in a state where it either slows down development, which goes against the will of the business, or developers work around it uh, because they're independent and they can, and they're really incentivized to sort of uh, shift, uh, shift sort of a uh, uh, product value to customers. Can we click in on the um, the measurement piece of it for a second? Because um, I, I think that's something that, you know, I find really interesting from a security standpoint. Like when you think about measuring security outcomes, sometimes it is a little bit of, it's like proving the null hypothesis. Like how do you prove that something like an attack didn't happen or like a, you know, a vulnerability wasn't taken advantage of. And so presumably sneak is making companies more secure. It's making your applications more secure. It's making you more efficient. Do you think about, proving that value to customers and, or is that something that you productize? That's something you talk about in the sales process. Like how do you think about actually measuring and quantifying that value? Yeah, no, I, I agree that like measuring security is a really kind of mythical beast to that. <laughs> Nobody really has like a perfect, uh, perfect solution to it. Um, I mean, I think I'll answer in general and then on sneak. So in general, I think there's sort of three ways that people measure security. You know, one is they measure the effectiveness of their security program. And that's the easiest thing to, to measure. That's just the program. You put KPIs. Did I, how quickly did I uh, respond to a vulnerability and fix it? How, uh, you know, how much, uh, how many of the issues they found downstream have been found sort of ahead of time? You know, uh, how many people, how many dev teams are actually sort of engaged and, and successfully testing versus which ones are not testing? So I think that's very important because you build a security program that theoretically you believe to be the right way to sort of secure your organization. Uh, and then you want to see, am I actually properly executing it. And there's a lot to measure there. And those are important measurements. Um, and to an extent, if you don't do that well, that it almost doesn't matter uh, what you do. The, the second way that people measure security is the output of their security controls. So how many vulnerabilities do I have? How many critical, you know, how quickly did I address them? You know, how the, the windows, uh, which, which is good. It's, it has a, it, it's useful because it is also like a relatively easy thing to measure as a, as a, a, um, barometer of your sort of security posture. Uh, the problem is it's not always the best barometer of your security posture. And actually, if you stop to think about it, it's uh, almost uh, almost incentivizes you not to find vulnerabilities <laughs> because your sort of uh, KPIs would go. The reality is that people still do it, but they do it more in the black and white. So it's like, do I have like only for critical vulnerabilities? How many of those do I have only for, uh, you know, two factor authentication setups? Like how many people have 2FA in it? So, and those are kind of the outputs of the tools that they have. And I think it's useful, it's just narrow. And then the third and toughest but best uh, measure is the efficacy of their security controls. How well is it actually protecting from attackers? Um, that's the hardest to measure. You know, you can do it through, you know, red team type activity. Like the best thing to do it is through external validation. How many bug bounty reports did I get? How many, um, uh, you know, red team, you know, coming in? How many issues did they find? Um, Naturally, it's never going to be comprehensive. It's too expensive to be comprehensive, uh, but it is an effective additional sort of spot check for your sort of most precious jewels uh, to uh, to assess. And so, I think I think all three are valid, and at the end of the day, combination goes. They they kind of go in prevalence from from one to three. Um, at Sneak, we, we we try to help on the first two. We don't really do the third, 
as much as we work with customers that do that to, to just sort of assess. So we talk about definitely, I think our claim to fame is that our security program actually works. People actually, developers actually use the product. And so you actually kind of roll it out. Um, and we work with the customers to ensure they're deployed in all the places. And then second, of course, is we find security flaws in your system. So we help you kind of manage the output of that and try to find the right ones. And then it's kind of in terms of efficacy, we help with things like, you know, exploits in the wild. Are there exploits in the wild to the non-vulnerabilities? How many, um, you know, like, again, collaborating when something is found, you know, zero-day uh, responses. But it, it isn't, it's, uh, we're less in the runtime piece, and so it's less what we focus on. Um, I guess maybe like the last bit that I would say is in the security program and the risk reduction piece, like all of this is about measuring the value we can provide in reducing risk. We also separately provide value in improving productivity of developers. So it's more about how quickly did you fix issues, you know, how much time. And those are more dev productivity measures that, you know, some organizations have, some don't. Uh, but, you know, we, we kind of take pride at, at shortening the time it takes. Sometimes it's hard numbers and sometimes it's soft numbers. A bit of a long-winded answer here, sorry about that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, yeah. Uh, that's great. One of the things that I've been exploring a lot, and I, I, I'm curious how much it, it plays into to Snake's business, is this idea of, um, you know, in kind of old-world uh, development, old-world security models, it felt like things are very siloed. And so the, the kind of interface into the security team or the security team into the organization was typically via like a help desk ticket. So I find a vulnerability, I file that ticket that may or may not be dressed in some reasonable amount of time. The idea of shift left presumably is that is more discoverable by developers. They're addressing that issue. We see a similar pattern on the identity side in terms of preventing identity threats upstream of that. How do you think about, um, I guess, is that important? Is that something that you guys look at and think about in terms of like developer productivity and efficacy is actually, hey, if we can address these issues, it just decreases the number of tickets. You don't have, you know, vulnerability tickets outstanding. And, and is that something that, um, you know, plays deeply into the product, I guess, at any, any sort of level? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the old versus new world in security is about centralized versus decentralized. So the whole organization is going from, uh, kind of a command and control, a top-down sort of statement, annual processes that, you know, sort of follow the process to continuous, agile, adaptive organizations that change as they go, run by independent teams. And so, you know, we talk about shift left, but, you know, maybe the bigger change is the top to bottom. Uh, and, uh, totally. <laughs> and that's sort of the direction of note. And, uh, and, and, and really what you need is you need these teams to be able to embrace their responsibility and, uh, and run with it. And so we, we, we focus, we put a lot, of, uh, a lot of weight on ownership, on saying, if, like, what do I need to do to be able to own uh, uh, security on developer? It doesn't mean security teams go away, but security teams, the most, the, what I deem to be the best sort of application security, product security teams, they evolve to see themselves as a platform team. They think of themselves as a team that succeeds by enabling uh, developers to build secure applications. And, and so sometimes they build things into the platform, like literally, you know, coded in so a problem goes away and is not doesn't need to be addressed by a developer. And sometimes through an enabler and sort of the tools. So I think that totally applies to sort of authorization as well. And uh, you know, you, you want to you want to you, you need to move security to close to the decision. So when a, when a person is making a decision, you need to help them make a secure decision or not like not give them the ability to make a secure decision uh, in a way that doesn't prevent them from creating business value. 
Um, and so, yeah, we, we invest a lot in that type of ownership. In the world of developer, it, it translates. You see customers adding security results into their stand-up uh, dashboards. Uh, the whole premise in Snake on, you know, a security person's job ends at finding an issue and reporting it and assessing the risk. A developer's job ends at fixing the issue. And so, if you can't, if you want developers to use and be successful on the product, you have to go all the way to fixing. And so, this notion of sort of independent ownership uh, of the tool and then providing, of course, security teams the sort of the governance capabilities they need. That's really kind of, I guess, what we what we drive for. That makes sense. Can we explore for a second the um, the command and control versus the decentralization movement? Because I I 100% believe in that. I think that's one of the biggest drivers also for our business and just what we see happening around identity and access control as well. Um, and and I think there's interesting shifts that have to happen there technologically and also just in terms of ownership of the teams. Like one of the things. Um, we talk about is you know guard rules and guardrails and centralized policies. So the idea being that you know the security team really maybe owns the definition of what secure looks like or how functionality should be maintained or, or in our business how access should be granted for particular resources, high risk resources, low risk resources, or applications. Um, do you see similar patterns um, in Sneak and or are there other? shifts that you think have to happen um, either process-wise or technologically to actually facilitate that decentralization? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, uh, I think there's, there needs to constantly be sort of a chain of, of, uh, of things that are made possible technologically uh, that, uh, that therefore sort of simplify someone's ability to do the right thing. Um, and so I, I think the... the the, the notion of becoming a platform team, uh, you know, for, for security teams is to be, uh, uh, to kind of find creative solutions to, 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 uh, to address or to sort of be able to at scale address uh, a problem that, that repeats. And sometimes those creative solutions are in the form of, of actually figuring out a different architecture, for instance, that takes a, makes a problem go away. And you build on existing innovation. So like a service mesh is a good example of it, right? Like a service mesh didn't exist before. Like before the notion of having a programmable place between microservices didn't quite sort of exist. And now, now it's available. What can you do with it? You know, eBPF is another sort of example for it. The cloud, you know, and just sort of the APIs and the discoverability that you do there. And so a bunch of those things, I'm not even getting into like fancy AI and sort of uh, uh, more elaborate things that you can do. Um, and so really what you want is you want to enable the security team to codify their knowledge and their expertise uh, into this platform that you want them to have coding capabilities and sort of build those kind of into, uh, into the system. And so those include either inventing or, or, or consuming kind of technology from a uh, from, uh, from, uh, from the right sort of uh, tools providers. Um, and then at the end of that, the sort of the last step is governance. And so at the end, no matter what you do, when it's a dependent team, some people are gonna stray from the pack and, uh, and embrace those. I, I really, really like the DevOps journey as a, a role model uh, for, for many of these things, you know, and because and, when you think about it, you know, operations absolutely went from centralized to decentralized. And today we, we kind of accept it quite well that um, you know that developers have an, a responsibility to build operable software infrastructure and app are much more intertwined you know more than ever before uh, but a lot of operational needs went away because the platforms evolved and they became better and serverless is probably like a you know the easiest example of that of just 
I'll take away the need to patch your machines because I'm going to take away the management of these machines in the first place uh, and have that uh, have that go away. Um, and similarly, you know, they have the paved road approach. And, and I think that's really where, at the end of the day, there is a zero-sum game that you eventually land in on um, giving you enough sort of rope to hang yourself with, you know, versus not, right? How many degrees of freedom do you get? You know, so sort of Netflix has this, this popularized this term, the paved road, where basically, you know, you lure people onto the platform. As a platform team, you build a paved road that has all the right controls of it, have a, but constrain the dev teams. And if you want to go kind of bushwhacking your way kind of off to the side of the road, you can. The paved road comes with a set of specifications that says, well, if you're doing that, then these are all the things you need to satisfy uh, on your own. And then most people opt for the paved road. Like most people uh, go in and they'll, uh, they'll work within the constraints. But if someone's really innovative and they want to go off uh, doing it, you're not preventing it. You just, you're saying, well, then you have to take this overhead with you. Yeah, it's a great model. It's like you can it's like you can go uh, you can go spelunking in the cave or you can go uh, off into the jungle in the woods, but like you got to bring a machete and you got to bring all the <laughs> you got to do all the yeah, extra exactly. work <laughs> on top and of this. Think about all these other things that could go wrong versus like just sort of driving down the main street, right? Yeah, 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 totally. How much do you see um, do you see any shift in terms of how companies are buying uh, security software and how they're evaluating security software going forward? Like it strikes me that there is a I feel like we see a pretty big shift, even from five, ten years ago. A very, in 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 the same tune of like central versus decentralized, like the old world sort of like very centralized decision making, like centralized sales process. You might have a single buyer champion and a single person making a purchasing decision, sort of pushing the software to everyone else. Feels like it's very different today. It feels like user experience matters more than ever. PLG and kind of being able to use a product matters more than ever. Transparency, docs transparency. Does that, um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? I think, uh, I think the world has definitely changed in terms of evaluation criteria and sometimes path into the business um, and even sort of small purchases. I find uh, eventually most security purchases still happen relatively centrally. Um, I'd sort of say that it's, you know, there's a few reasons for that. You know, one is that the security budget sits with security. So the organization has allotted a number of dollars to say, you know, this keeps the organization secure and has put that in the hands of the CISO or whomever. And, uh, and so even if the dev team is, is the one kind of, you know, dealing with a lot of things, you know, it is, it is still, you know, needs to come out of the security budget. And so it's not constant. Uh, and by the way, sometimes you see the CISO sitting under the CTO or under the SVP engineering. And so that also happens. Uh, but I think, you know, the budget is one. The second is that, um, you know, there is um, a lot of security is still around the, uh, the uh, detect and respond. So a lot of it is still around like understanding what has happened. There is, I think, a merging or at least kind of a clashing of the worlds of SecOps and DevOps. And so what I think is happening there is that there's a, um, uh, uh, an understanding and appreciation that monitoring a system and how it's running, you know, overlaps greatly. You know, if you're monitoring it for resilience and performance versus if you're monitoring it for security attacks, it's not the same, uh, but it is uh, it is similar enough that all the players in SecOps are trying to get into DevOps and vice versa. And so I see I see some changes there, but I still find that naturally developers and dev tools like depth 
and they, you know, they care about a specific application, it needs to be really, really good at the stack. Even ops, sometimes it's okay to say, like, it'll be very, very good for that. Security does need to be able to make statements around a security attacker uh, broadly. And so they require a certain amount of breadth and that lends themselves to sort of be, to be centralized. And so I see a change. I don't think it'll ever get to exact parity uh, with dev. Um, and I think like with all of the, my love for DevOps analogies, um, the key difference in security is that there is a villain. You know, there is someone that is out to get you, uh, that is trying to kind of get in. And so, uh, so you have to take a certain, a slightly more holistic view of all my applications, all the places, because the attacker is going to try to kind of, you know, like water flow kind of through the, uh, the easiest way in. Um, and so that's the, the so it's a, it's, a, it's the constant kind of balance. Um, what I do foresee is that AppSec and product security and maybe infrastructure security increasingly move into dev, which is really almost like IT moving into dev more than security moving into dev, just like IT was close to IT security, uh, but wasn't the same. Um, so I see that. I see a lot of AppSec and infrastructure, product infrastructure, especially security, moving into platform teams and sort of the R&D organization. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, kind of the, the the parallel path that we actually see on the identity and access control side is this um, this munging of IT and security concerns around. Sometimes there's that same sort of platform team, but it might snap a little bit more like security engineering teams where they're responsible for automating a lot of the access controls around infrastructure applications, how you onboard it, because yep. you know IT sim similar problems, right? Like IT just kind of can't scale with the constant inbound of like nonstop tickets. They actually don't have the context for how you manage authorization and access control across the organization. You have to push that to the other teams and the people responsible for those applications and infrastructure. And then when you do that, you have to invest in the automation to get there. And so we're we're sort of seeing a similar play where like IT and security, strong overlapping concerns, <clears throat> particularly as it relates to access control, and then a, a real yeah. focus on uh, automation, particularly coming from like those those platform security engineering teams. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and look, all of these teams are becoming um, uh, kind of developers in their own right, right? So that's just like a technological trend. It's become available. And so the notion of security as code, policy as code, whatever, you know, star as code of you have to codify, you have to automate is the only kind of way to sort of speed up. And it's just more efficient. It's just better. Um, and as we move into the cloud and a lot more things are API enabled and they can be inter interrogated and they can be, you know, auto configured. Uh, you see that path. And so every security leader I talk to these days, and I talk to a lot of, I run my podcast as a security developer, I talk to sort of smart security leaders, and I oftentimes ask, you know, who do you hire into it? And fairly consistently, every time I open it is people, people really cherish today coding skills and engineering skills when they hire into their security team uh, far more than ever before, and oftentimes more so than security backgrounds, depending on the job. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, any uh, last question here, but... Um, any predictions for 2023? Uh, predictions are things that you would love to see happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think 2023 is a, is a tough year because a lot of organizations are dealing with shrinking budgets or at least frozen budgets, uh, even in security. And so they have to do less with more while the technology advances uh, continue. Um, and so I do see a lot of, uh, a lot of push for uh, for consolidation, and that's just like a budget element. And to an extent, almost a, a clash. When you want efficiency and kind of cost reduction, oftentimes it biases you towards the centralized uh, and sort of streamlined. And when you want uh, you know, agility and growth, it biases you in favor of the decentralized and kind of nimble and adaptive. 
Um, and so I think that both needs are clashing in the market <laughs> right now, which I think hamper a little bit one another. But I guess I, I would say I think I think 2023 is is a year for for sort of sobriety a little bit for a lot of places like in security. There have been a lot of purchases that have been based on like a massively subjective kind of good vendor pitch kind of a relationship. And I I do see that now when if you want to buy a new security tool, you might need to sacrifice another. I think there's a lot more scrutiny of, well, is this really doing what it says it will? Is this really as important as we thought it is? Um, because the sort of the infinite bucket of money is uh, is uh, is not there anymore. So I, I guess my 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 hope, the sort of the, in general, I think that is a healthy fashion. As someone who much prefers the sort of the uh, building security tools, uh, you know, the, the security tools that are sort of you know builders, not breakers, that are, you know, meant for practicality versus the sort of the uh, the fear mongering. Um, you know, I uh, I think that's a healthy service, but I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching happening in the security uh, security. Uh, buyer and seller uh world uh this year yeah personally i i kind of love it a little bit to be honest because i i do think it it um it really de-emphasizes to your point that like sizzle selling or you know selling a security product based on you you, you showed me or told me one thing i didn't know but at the end of the day you got to figure out how that product really adds like ongoing value and delivers like an ongoing outcome for the company and the business i mean it's part of the reason we focus so much on workflows as a part of our product right because yep. it's about managing access and authorization and you just have you have to operationalize that you can't just tell someone there's a problem there you have to actually fix it or prevent it yep. in the first place and it's it's a it's a reminder that like you know most of the time if someone breaks into your house is because you left the door or window uh, unlocked and you know it's not the sexiest but you know, most security breaches happen because of excessive authorization, you know, and kind of too many permissions because of some sort of known vulnerability that has been sitting there for sort of 12, 12 months or 12 years, you know, that nobody sort of uh, did anything about. And, you know, they're, they're not as compelling as this like funky AI security or the sort of advanced persistent threat sort of uh, uh, type model or volume of your service. Uh, but, uh, but oftentimes those are your sort of bread and butter. And so as long as the, as long as the sort of the, uh, the, the whatever the well keeps on giving then then you end up sort of doing both but when you need to start choosing but and it's okay look it, uh, security is tricky because of your you, you started this with a measurement question and um, I think the challenge with not being able to measure how secure am I uh, means that there's just a lot of subjective uh, uh, room in this industry more so than in many others and so uh, you know people apply their judgment and sometimes they get it right sometimes they get it wrong and sometimes they don't think about it hard enough, and now they're basically forced to think about it hard enough, um, and and it's okay. You know, it's again, it's all in all a healthy uh, trend, but maybe a slightly tougher year than. Uh, it's gonna be, yeah. <laughs> it'll be a good. It'll be a good uh, uh, focusing year at, at a minimum Indeed. for companies, um, with you know obviously practitioners and then also for vendors as well. Uh, well, thanks, man. Appreciate it, guys. This is a great, great conversation. Definitely got some some good nuggets in there. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of All Aboard. See you next time.